Can we also just give a, a hand to our volunteers, our band, the guys that just bring these things up. We've got the coffee team, host team, welcome team, amazing. This uh, church doesn't happen just with, with the staff here, but a whole bunch of you guys volunteer. And again, we'd love to have some of you involved with volunteering, and there's always multiple different ways that you can serve and get involved. So we are going to finish a series today called Stories from Israel. And if you are just joining us today, haven't been here the last couple of weeks, um, I really encourage you to maybe just go catch the other messages on our YouTube channel because I really feel like God will speak to you through those stories. Jill and I had the privilege to go to Israel um, two, three weeks ago, and it's honestly life-changing. Uh, it really helps just bring a whole lot of stuff into perspective uh, for, for Christians, really, and the places that you've read about, you're now standing in those places. So even geographically, things start to make sense. It actually proves the Bible over and over. So week one, I spoke about uh, a, little, a town called Magdala, where there was a woman called Mary, Mary Magdalene. We hear about her often in the Bible and how God used this woman, who was a broken woman, really, to fund and resource a lot of the ministry of Jesus. And it's just a powerful story around that. And I, and I really feel like it brought some restoration to some of us as a church. Obviously, we believe uh, in that here as a church. But I, I just think for, for some of you ladies as well, it was maybe liberating. Uh, even for some of you men, it gave you a little bit of a clap, you know. Like, it's obvious. It's there. It's in the Bible. And then last week, we looked at two healings in the New Testament. One was the healing at the Pool of Bethesda. And the other one was the, the healing of the woman who had the issue of of blood and how Jesus healed her and there was healing in his wings which was the edge of his garment do you remember that and I really hope that that encouraged you um, today we're going to end off the series with uh, a moment that we experienced from the Old Testament and it's amazing because even some of the songs today like you know they're talking about manner on the ground and just God is able I was like wow this is amazing how God just ties all of these things together because remember next week is um, comrades so we're going to have a worship service and then the week after that, just by the way, we have got Father's Day service, and we've got a special guest with us. Frank Rotenbach will be with us uh, next two, two weeks' time Sunday. So make sure you are here on, on that service morning and evening. He's a, he's a wonderful guy, and God is using him, and he's an actor. And yeah, we've had some awesome discussions around this whole Father, Heart of God thing, and uh, he's going to sh share some insight into that. So that is two weeks' time Sunday, so you don't want to miss that. So we've got an exciting couple weeks ahead. Um, but today, I have titled this message, Promises. And um, I'm going to look at a place called Shiloh, or uh, apparently the Jewish people pronounce it the Shiloh. Um, you realize how often a lot of our pronunciations of things were wrong. Like, just by the way, do you know Jesus wasn't called Jesus? You know, uh, I don't even want to attempt to pronounce his name, but I mean, it was closer to Yeshua, you know, uh, but that's not with the correct accent. But the, all the names that we read in the Bible um, are not the way that those names were even pronounced. And um, this place, Shiloh, was, was really, really special. I didn't know much about Shiloh. I mean, I've, I've read a bit about it in the Old Testament, and if you're on the journey with us of reading the Bible in one year, you would have uh, read the name. Um, but it, uh, it was quite an interesting place to go to. And just before we, we get there, uh, there's a map that I took a photo of at Shiloh. It's the, the journey of the Israelites. So I'm going to try and... Uh, make it simple for, for all of us to catch today. Um, and, but obviously the Israelites escaped from Egypt. They come all the way down and that's where they crossed the, uh, the sea at the bottom there. 
uh, on the left there, kind of midway up, and then they come all the way around, they wander around the desert for a while, and then they go up past to the right side of the Dead Sea, and then they end up in Shiloh, and that's, Shiloh is actually the, the heart of the nation of Israel. Uh, it, it kind of, that, that's where they settled. And from there, the 12 tribes of Israel went out from there. It, it was, it's not the official capital of Israel, but it almost, of the Israelites, it, it almost was like their capital. And at the moment, it's uh, in the West Bank. So Israel is, is split up. So you've got the West Bank, Palestinian run, different regions, different areas, different letters explain different areas. And some of the Jewish people aren't allowed in those areas. And even you get to like these gates where you would go through as a tour bus and they will check you and make sure. Even when we came back into Israel, we were there when some of the, the rockets were flying in there. But you didn't feel un, unsafe in any way. Um, but uh, I know that sounds really weird. My dad's sending me messages saying, Hilton, are you okay? I'm like, no, we're fine. Uh, but they've got this amazing technology that disarms these rockets in the air. Don't worry, we didn't see any like flying over our heads or anything like that. Some of you are saying, I'm not going to Israel. Uh, but we, when we're coming back into um, kind of the, to, to Israel, the Jewish, uh, I mean, look, it's mainly made up of Jews and, and Muslims, but uh, they, there was this army guy got on the bus and walked down the bus looking at every single one of us just to make sure that we weren't uh, you know, up to anything dodgy. You know, it, was, it was quite an experience. Anyway, so we go to Shiloh, which is in the West Bank, and um, interestingly enough, Shiloh actually means tranquil or, or abundance, and I felt like there was such a peace at this place. This was like, it's like the heart of Israel. It's where everything, it, it came from there. And what was interesting as we were walking around the ancient Shiloh town, which is where they've uncovered the ruins, um, the, the, the people that were running this organization most likely weren't Christians. They only believed about 30,000 Christians in Israel, but they were playing this dreadful music. The whole, like they had these speakers set up, and our guide even uh, noted to us, he says, can you, they, they're trying to disrupt the peace here because all these Christians come to this place. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very popular place to come visit. And they had this music. I don't even know what it was. It was like this thumping, weird Arabic, like rave music, like pumping. And you just like, I'm like, could they turn it down? I know like some of you say, could you turn it down here in church? But this was, this was really bad. Just trying to disrupt the peace of this place. But above all of that, you could still experience the peace. And... Some of you are saying, well, why is this place even significant? Um, this is where they, they set up the, the, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was housed in Shiloh for 369 years before it eventually ended up in Jerusalem. It did do a bit of wanderings. Here's a picture and a map of that where the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle moved around a little bit. But uh, Shiloh is that uh, yeah, place here where it kind of all started. And what's interesting, this might look like a random picture to you, um, but this is where they believe the original tabernacle was. So in that area down at the bottom there, where the, the rock and the stone have been carved out and cut and the flat level place, I mean, this is, this is thousands of years ago. They really believe that this was where the tabernacle was in Shiloh because obviously they found the ancient ruins of Shiloh, but also the measurements actually work out like the length and the breadth of how it would fit it right there. 
in this place. So it doesn't look like much right now, but that's where they believed the, the tabernacle was. Now, just as a reminder, the tabernacle was a place, it was like the temple of God where people come and they would worship, bring their sacrifices. Uh, all the instructions of what the tabernacle looked like were all given in the Bible. Do you remember Adele spoke about that a couple months ago, for those of you who were here? Um, but that is where they believe it was. Um, and then these are even olive presses or wine presses right by the tabernacle, which would have uh, were significant for, for use with it even in the tabernacle right there. I mean, still carved out in the stone, which is quite amazing, um, just to kind of the side of where the tabernacle was. And I think this is, so this is a, a replica of the tabernacle. So just to give you perspective, those pillars on the side are about three meters high. But just to give you a little bit of perspective what it kind of would have looked like, and that's where they came to meet with God, basically. So something like this would have sat there is where we showed you that photo. It's quite interesting. And then um, I, th I think that is that it for the pics. So the tabernacle was, was based at Shiloh for 369 years. And the people of God came to connect with God. Kind of like... Well, God lives in us. We can connect with God anywhere. But, I mean, for us, this place becomes a significant place for us. We don't uh, idolize this place or feel like anything significant or special above anywhere else happens here. But it is a place where we kind of, a spiritual family, gather together. That was kind of like their, their church. They came to connect with God there. And here is some scriptural proof. And I'm going to get into the heart of the message, and you'll see where I'm going, um, of why uh, the, the tabernacle was at Shiloh. Here in 1 Samuel 4, 3, it says, After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp. So they were in a fighting at that stage. And the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, Let's bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. So they sent, them, sent the men to Shiloh to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the heaven's armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. And uh, basically, they took this Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, into battle with them. They actually ended up losing that battle. Then that got confiscated and taken, and that's why the Ark of the Covenant moved around. But people really had a reverence and a respect for what this symbolized. So it was very significant to the is Israelites. Part of also, so that's just proof that it was at Shiloh, but what they would do at um, this tabernacle is they would bring offerings. I mean, obviously... Edgar's just done an offering message where we bring a resource, a financial offering, but we also brought an offering this morning of our worship. When we sing, it's, it's offerings to God. And one of the things they used to do in those days is they would bring animal sacrifices as, as a gift to God. And let me read this here in Exodus 20, 24. It says, build me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me. Then it says two specific things, your burnt offerings and peace offerings your sheep and goats and your cattle. Build me an altar wherever uh, I cause my name to be remembered and I will come to you and bless you. And so there were two specific offerings. And what's amazing, as I was kind of prepping this this week, I didn't realize this, but a whole bunch of you ladies were attending a, a Waymaker course this past Thursday. Who was at the Waymaker course on Thursday here in the church? Okay, a whole bunch of you. You, can you see some connections here? It's like amazing. Jen was like, well, they just spoke about that. And uh, there were two types of offerings. The, the Ola sacrifice, which basically it was just consumed by flames. It was burnt up. So there was nothing they could take back from this. But then there was another offering or another sacrifice, which is the Shilamin sacrifice, um, which comes from Shalom, which means peace offering. Okay. 
And um, that's, I mean, that's why you can see the tie and even with Shiloh being called, like it's a tranquil place. But this was a peace offering. And what was interesting in the peace offering, and I never also fully understood this, because whenever we think of the word sacrifice, we think of something extremely costly, which one part of it it is. But this peace offering was a sacrifice that would actually be shared. It was a shared meal. They would share some of it with the priests, but then that it, would, it was a feast between God and man. So they would actually, it was like a communion moment where they would partake of this together. So it didn't mean from a peace offering that it was something they had to give up or lay down or go without. And whenever I've talked about worship even being a sacrifice, yes, it is. There is a giving up and laying down. But there's something special about this as well that just jumped out. And I know in the Waymaker course, they spoke about this on Thursday. But this particular offering doesn't have, obviously there's a cost to, to the, the, the meat that they bought, but it was a shared offering. It was a peace offering. And it, the, the word that they use for, for sacrifice here is a word, uh, uh, korban. Um, and interestingly enough, the Hebrew root of this word, K-R-V, means come near or move closer. That, that's the root of what this was about. And if you think about it even today, Yes, there's a costly aspect to some of sacrifice, but even as we worship today, it's all about coming near to God, coming closer to God. And I hope even for you as you, um, you know, make open scars as we prayed for a whole bunch of people, making open scars people's spiritual home, that this would be a place where people would find like peace. They, they would find God in the most incredible ways. And what's amazing is how this lines up with what this was all about. It, it, it wasn't loss, but it was love. It was this communion. It was this moment to, to share together. And God wants us to move closer to him, come nearer to him every single day. But I also believe, and the story that I'm going to look at today is the story of Hannah, a very significant moment that happened at Shiloh, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. But I believe there's something in this, that God wants us to come near to him even more when we go through difficulty. It's amazing how God will use difficulty and tragedy. I mean, yesterday we had the memorial of, of um, uh, Andre. You know, it was a special time. But then today we, we hear of someone being healed of cancer. So we have all these questions and we, we don't understand. And there's difficult moments for all of us. I mean, if I had to ask for a show of hands, I, I think all of us would say, how many of you guys have had difficulty in the last month? I think most of us would put up our hands. And I believe that when we come closer to God, we bring this peace offering that there's something in that. God comes close to us, as the word says, in those times. And I also believe that when we let something go, it's so that we can embrace, embrace something new. Sometimes we end up holding on to all, everything that we have, and actually God just wants us to let it go. Because we cannot embrace the new if we don't let go of the old. How many of you guys have hung on to a job before, but there was this amazing job just waiting for you, and until you let that one go, then the new opportunity came? Or how many of you guys were, I don't know, maybe you were younger, you were dating someone and you were like, this is it, you know, I'm so attached to this person. And then you realized the relationship wasn't healthy and then you let it go. Then all of a sudden you actually met who you were meant to marry one day. Some of you are very grateful right now that you didn't hang on to the person that you were dating at high school, right? Especially when you look at those photographs, you know, like pop up on Facebook. You're like, whoa, what was I thinking? I'm joking. God knows. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not being ugly there. I'm just, I'm just saying it's amazing how God knows that sometimes we have to let something go. I'm so grateful that I let some of my girlfriends go because then I got to marry Janina, you know. 
Are you grateful too, Jim? <laughs> she was like, did a little... But we've got to let things go so that we can embrace the new. Now, side note, this is not necessarily scriptural, but I believe God spoke to me in something very small at Shiloh. I took a photo of an almond tree. I don't know if you guys have seen almond trees before, but this is a, a pic of an almond tree, which was, they were, they were growing at, at Shiloh. And I, I picked one off there as well. This is uh, an unripened one. And something significant, just one thing, and I'm going to come back to this at the end. But something significant about an almond tree is, did you know that it buds in winter? It buds in winter. It's one of the only uh, trees that would do that. Buds in winter, when no one would expect. And I just think there's so much in that, like when we look at the seasons of things, and winter is normally traditionally a, a difficult time, and, and, and plants particularly don't, they just survive during those moments. But the almond tree buds in winter. And there's something about Shiloh that there's a connection with that. And I believe God can use our winters to bring about something new. Just, I'm just saying that. I don't know if it's scriptural or anything. I'm just saying that even prophetically, and I'm gonna even believe that over your lives, uh, at the end, we're gonna just speak that over our lives, that I believe that you can bud in winter. Does that make sense? Okay. And um, also, there's so much of that in the Bible. Even the Messiah, Jesus, will come back when no one expects. Uh, it's contrary. It's countercultural. The, the Bible, when you look at it, yes, there's seasons for some things, but some things are just different. And I believe God has his own timing for things in our lives. And we've got to, it's almost, we've got to expect that. What I mean by expect that, expect that it might not happen when we expect. So I want to look at Hannah's prayer. And again, just telling the students, she was like, you have to watch this video that they watched. So I watched the uh, Waymaker video, ladies, on Thursday. For those of you who are attending it, for those of you who aren't, you're going to have to catch the next course. It's been phenomenal, apparently, for the ladies. About 50 ladies, 60 ladies coming here on a Thursday morning. But this uh, prayer that Hannah prayed was incredibly significant, and we had a moment there at Shiloh where the tabernacle was. But I want to give you some context to Hannah's prayer, because some of you maybe here today going, I've I got no idea what a tabernacle is, I've got no idea who Hannah is, I've got no idea what Shiloh is, but uh, I'm really hoping as I unpack a little bit of what we discovered and learned that it will make the Bible come alive for you today. So Hannah, she was the wife of... Um, Eklana, I don't know if that's exactly how you say uh, his name, but Hannah was barren. She could not have children. And in those times, although it was kind of common, uh, it would happen, but it was also, uh, it was a disgrace if you couldn't have children. It was, it was embarrassing. And even, I suppose, um, we, we were talking about on Wednesday, my dad was actually saying, you know, how we over the years have prayed for many uh, ladies that aren't able to fall pregnant. And sometimes you've got to break some stuff over your life. We're going to talk about that maybe in another series of sorts, but we need to believe for the promise and that God can actually change the situation. And Hannah, um, uh, or Eklana actually had another wife as well uh, who had children. So it actually, you can imagine, it made Hannah feel even worse, okay? I mean, this whole thing about multiple wives is still, is still a hell of a thing for me. We, we got into an Uber on Thursday night, coming, we, on Friday night, we, we came back. Um, my daughter was doing a show in Joburg, so we went up to watch, and we, were, we went back in the Uber, and his dad had seven wives, this, this guy that we were, who was driving us. And how many siblings did he have? 30. 34-something siblings. I'm like, oh, 
my gosh. But he, what he was saying, though, is his dad uh, wasn't really present, and, and presence matters, which was quite, uh, quite an impact. But I'm like, Jen was like asking this guy questions, like, I seven wires, like, I don't know how you do that. But anyway, um, yeah, that could go down a whole other conversation. I'm, okay, I'm a little bit ADD sometimes. I felt like saying a few jokes here, but I won't. Anyway, so... Hannah uh, couldn't have children, and she's desperate for a child, and it was right there at Shiloh, at the place that we were standing, where she prays this prayer. And Eli was the priest. Do you remember in the beginning of the year, we, we gave our theme of speak, and I spoke about Eli and Samuel. Okay, now it's going to all make sense. Okay, anyway, so let me, can I read the story to you quickly, and just give some context to that, and We'll see how it encourages us today. So this is 1 Samuel 1 verse 9. It says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place besides the entrance of the tabernacle. So he was the priest there. Hannah was in deep anguish. Not just anguish, but deep anguish, okay? Crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for this, his entire lifetime and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. So she's praying this deep, uh, it's like a lament, it's, it's a, a, a prayer crying out to God. Um, and, and what she's, it's, it's actually a covenant prayer. She's saying, God, like if you give me a son, I, I will dedicate him back to you, okay? different to that kind of prayer, God, if you do this, I'll do that. It's not that type of prayer. You know, Lord, um, let me see my girlfriend and just make her not get pregnant. You know those prayers that some of you guys have prayed. Or, Lord, if you, just help me uh, not get caught by the cops on the way home because I'm drunk. You know, we're not talking about those types of prayers. This, this is a covenant prayer. She's like saying, God, like, uh, this is something I'm so desperate for and is, uh, I'm gonna make covenant with you. So this was a type of prayer. And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Now, this prayer shouldn't have actually been a prayer that other people witnessed because it was a deep personal prayer. Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound. He thought she was drinking, that she was, she was drunk. I mean, I could almost imagine the imagery here of like a, she was a bit of a blabbering idiot in a sense. She was like so anguished, so broken, just didn't, you know sometimes when we, when we are just, just at our end, we don't know what words to pray and, and, and they're just not making any sense. This is, this is where she's at. And that's what's amazing about in the New Testament, Jesus he leaves with the Holy Spirit and he gives us the gift of tongues. And I believe sometimes when we're in moments where we don't know what to pray, we can just pray as the Spirit leads us and God understands. And he says, must you come here drunk? He's actually irritated. How, how can you come here to the Lord's place drunk? He demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. Ooh, they had stronger stuff in those days as well. <laughs> Jägermeister, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. Interesting, because this was, this was Shiloh, the place of peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Okay, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. 
I don't know if it was the, the food that made her happy or the fact that maybe God was answering your prayer. Uh, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. So they would all come back to Shiloh like uh, in the seasons to, just to come and honor God and worship God. Even when the 12 tribes of Israel were scattered and went out from there, they would come and make their way back there. And it says this here, then they returned home to Ramah. When Eklanah slept with Hannah, the Lord, that's actually in the Bible, by the way, the Lord remembered her plea and in due time, she gave birth to her son. Absolute miracle. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. So the word Samuel in, in Hebrews is Shemel, which basically means God is heard. Or it, it, the word is similar to another Hebrew word, which means asked of God, which is quite fascinating. And this is the same Samuel that said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, with our whole speak theme at the beginning of the year. And you'll see how he ended up serving Eli at the tabernacle. So listen to this. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord to keep his vow. So as I was saying, this was a regular thing. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. And by the way, the, the, the weaning of a boy would normally be around the age of 12, 13, so the age of accountability. So it wasn't like three. I really hope they didn't breastfeed to the age of 12, 13, because <laughs> that would be a hell of a thing. Um, but that was just the, the, the word that they used. They were weaned, so it would be about that age. Because I was thinking, why would he be asked to bring back a little boy, like a two, three years old, you know, leave him at the tabernacle? So it wasn't at that age. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. Because, I mean, this is a, this is a serious vow to, to keep as well. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They bought uh, along a three-year-old bull for a sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. This was, this was part of the peace offering, the meal, sharing it together. After um, sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. He says, sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman, the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he has granted my request. Now I'm giving to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. What a powerful moment. Like, what a testimony. Do you remember me? I prayed that prayer 12 years prior. Here's the boy. And, and I just believe even for us, we're going to look back in 12 years' time or in other moments of our life and, and go look at what God has done. God is able there's going to be testimony after testimony. And I just love the story, story because also Samuel went on to become such a blessing to the entire nation. And I don't think you even realize the power and the scale to some of the answers that you're going to receive on some of your prayers. I really, I, I really think we've got no idea what God is going to do. You've got to keep trusting and believing and praying and lamenting and coming to God for things, particularly in our brokenness. Because that's when the trueness of who we are in our heart comes out. But I believe God is going to do something so special in and through some of those prayers that he honors. All of, all of you here today have some kind of dream in your heart. Some of you guys, maybe a little bit older, you're thinking, oh, what, what now? You've still got dreams in your heart. And I just think there's something in the story that can encourage us today. And this story is, a, is a, an amazing example of, of faith and the power of prayer. But it also teaches us the importance of a dedication and keeping our promises to God. How often is it that you hear, you know, God works in someone's life. God even does miracles, and then they just fall off the bandwagon. It's like, where have you been? Because everything's been going well. And then when everything falls apart, people come back. 
We've seen that even through the life cycles of this church. And it's quite sad, to be honest. So it's like, how about praising God and worshiping Him in the good times? I mean, you look at this example here, even Hannah, she says, and they worship the Lord there. She could have just never come back to Shiloh, never followed through on her commitment when it was good. I mean, it, this was costly. But she came and dedicated Samuel to serve the house of God. There's, there, there is, yes, there's a peace offering in that moment, but there's also something costly. And, and I almost think that there's something in this, the two sacrifices there. You know, the one that cost you something, the one that she was now having to let go. And I think serving God, yes, he wants to honor us and give us so many things that our hearts desire, but there's also a cost to it. It's gonna come at a high price sometimes when you've got to make the right integrous decision in your business, when you need to do the right thing within that relationship, whatever it is. Even we heard from Edgar this morning in our offering, it's costly, you know, to, to, to honor and to give back to God. I kind of try to think of a couple points to share with you because all pastors and preachers have to have points, you know, one, two, three, three steps to go with it. But I actually couldn't come up with any. And, and I, I just had these two things going on in my mind. So they're not really points, but these two things that I want to encourage you with today and is this. Don't give up, but surrender. There's a difference between the two. Don't give up, but surrender. It almost sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but you hear what I'm saying. Sometimes we've got to be a little persistent in this journey of promises. Don't give up, but surrender. And the other thing I just wrote down was be patient with the promise. It's coming. So I'm going to say those things again, and, and this is for you. Take this for you today. Don't give up, but surrender. Be patient with the promise. It's coming. Don't give up, but surrender. Be patient with the promise. It's coming. Receive that for yourself today. You see, surrender is, is a stopping of fighting. It's amazing how we, as humans, have this posture. It's the posture to fight, right? That's how we, how we want to deal with things. Like, even just naturally, when, especially when you're frustrated or anger, we, we, we just immediately, the fists clench, and, and, and like, we, we want to fight. But the posture of surrender is the opposite of that. It's an opening of hands. And what's significant with that, it's actually when you open your hands, you, you release something, right? But it's a, it's a giving up. It's a universal sign of surrender. Give up. That's the posture we should have. Lifting hands, we see throughout the Bible, is a sign of surrender. We see Moses lift up his hands and stretch out his staff, and that was what brought them through to the promised land as the, the seas parted. There was a blockage. There was, I, I don't know where to go. He, he couldn't have fought that in his own ability, but as he surrendered to God, God made a way. The word waymaker even appeared in one of the songs today. What did Jesus do? On the cross, he stretched out his hands, the word of God says, and he surrendered for us. And even one of the Hebrew words to praise in the Bible is a word called yada, which means a lifting of hands. It's a, it's a sign of surrender. And in this Waymaker uh, video that I watched, it's, it spoke about living a cross-shaped a cross life where our arms are open to God. It's crazy how we just wanna fight. And even right now, I don't know what situation you find yourself in, but you wanna, you wanna like make it happen for yourself. You wanna, you wanna fight, whatever it is, but just live a cross-shaped life, surrender. Because I believe when we can open up our hands, we can let go to embrace the new. We can stop holding on. And we can actually live a given life. And 
I'm not going to be long today. Well, actually, my time's up anyway. I thought I was going to be shorter. <laughs> I looked at the time. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, we've all got shattered dreams, broken hopes, bruised souls. But a question I want to ask you today is, what's your Hannah Hart prayer today? What is it? What's that desperate prayer that you have? Another question to ask you is, why was she willing to give up the gift that God actually gave her? And, and I believe, just reading into this, is that besides the promise uh, she made, I think she just desired God, desired intimacy with God more than anything else. It wasn't what God could even give her. But she came to God, broken, bruised, crushed, just to, to, to speak with God, to talk with God. And God gave her the gift, but even in and through all of that, she, she honored God through that whole thing. And it was because she desired intimacy with God more than anything. And I believe that as God brings us through our hardships and difficulties in life, there's something that he's working in us in this relationship with him. We learn to trust him more, don't we? We learn to have hope in our heart. We learn to be more vulnerable with God and with people. And we had this Hannah moment prayer there. And um, I think I snapped a pic of gin actually um, in the distance Praying a prayer, everyone kind of scattered around and we all had a, a moment just to pray. And I believe it when we have challenges, it's in those challenges that we need to draw close to God. And I want to kind of wrap it up and end with this. Something very significant about Shiloh as well is there was this idea of vineyards. And there's a picture of the vineyards there, and you might yeah, well, that doesn't mean anything. So from Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, looking towards the Sumerian hills, I think there's a, you can zoom in a bit, there's, there's vineyards that are being replanted. Now, this is a metaphor, but it's also literal. Check out what Jeremiah says many, many years prior to this. It says here in Jeremiah 31, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you. Because remember the Israelites, they were in captivity, they were, they were desperate, they had nothing. I have loved you, my people, with everlasting love. With unfailing love, I've drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you. I love that, that he's drawn you to myself. It's in the difficulty that God draws us to himself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will again be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. I love this. And maybe it might not connect the way that it did with us standing there, but this was, we were a witness to that prophecy standing there. Does that make sense? Because over the years, uh, people have destroyed those vineyards and planted other things there. Even recently, the Muslims all destroyed all those vineyards, but now they're planting the vineyards again. There's, there's, and again and again, the prophecies of God get fulfilled. And I'll just read this little insert that I, I read about this. It says, throughout the book of Jeremiah, the prophet is warning the people of Israel about the consequences of their disobedience. However, in this chapter, Jeremiah shows that the restoration of Israel will come through God's grace and not by people's merit alone. The restoration will include blessings such as freedom from captivity, the re rebuilding of the city and the temple, and prosperity in agriculture and commerce. Let me tell you, Israel is thriving. Overall, the prophecy of the planting of the vineyards again represents a symbolism of the abundance and the prosperity that is promised to Israel. It is a promise that the people of Israel once again flourish in the land that God has given to them. And standing there, I could testify with my own eyes the fulfillment of that word, God's word, with my own eyes and see the vineyards being replanted. It was, it was a powerful moment for me. 
And some of you are saying, well, what does that have to do with my life today? I'm saying to you today, you've all got those things that you trust in God for. And I'm believing for all of your lives that you will see those vineyards planted again in your own life. You will see the dancing. You will see the celebration. It might be a time of difficulty. It might be a time of, of mourning. But God will plant again and grow in your life. And I wrote down these two words, rebuild and restore, because you see that in this language here. But just the difference, I, I preached on this many, many years ago, the difference between renovate and restore. Renovate is make new. So it's like when you remodel a home, you bash down walls, discard off in the old, and throw away. But restore, I love, I love restoring, because this is to bring back to the original form of state. And you find beauty in the old when you restore something. Sometimes we need it when we restore and get rid of a bit of the old. Sometimes we've got to peel back the layers, sand down the piece of furniture, whatever it is. But there's something powerful about restoration. And God wants to restore your life today, regardless of the cuts, the bruises, the scars that you've had. And that prophetic word of planting vineyards, again, I really believe that it's a, it's a sign of blessing and prosperity. And God wants that for your own life. And I said I would come back to the... Uh, the almond. And to be honest, God only spoke this into me this morning. So much so, I actually took a picture on one of these chairs. But I, I picked this off the tree when I was there. Um, and I was just, it was interesting, like texture. It was like a, it was a little bit furry on the outside. And I took my nails and I was like, just, I was sitting in the bus and I was like, just, I don't know, just making like a mark on it. You know how you can take your nails and you can like mark something. And I was just like creating a groove in this almond. This is, this is the hell, right? And then the next day, uh, I'd left it in my pocket and I picked it out again and I saw that the, the cut was gone. I'm like, no, you've got to be joking. Like, how did that happen? I even said, remember, I mentioned it to you. I was like, this is crazy. Like, it, it like almost like self-healed. I've heard that the new BMW has a, has a front bumper that can self-heal. Did you know about that from cuts and stones? It's, it's 100% true. The, 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 the way that it's manufactured, it, it, uh, it moves and it like goes back together. I don't know. That's, apparently that's true. Any BMW fans here? Anyway. So I was like, this, this is interesting. So I did it again. I made like some like real, I wanted to see something, made some real marks on this thing. And then I forgot about it. I put it in the bottom of my bag and I pulled it out this morning for an illustration today and those marks have gone again. And I'm like, how? You can come and examine this thing. I, I made like, like hard grooves and like almost wore away the, the outside of this thing and there's a picture of it there. It's gone. Now, I'm not saying God did a miracle on this specific thing, but what I'm saying is then I read up about almonds, and obviously we use it on our skin often. It has this ability to heal skin. And I'm like, there's something in this that has that. And then I was thinking, God, like, this is amazing because I picked this off here at Shiloh, and is there like a, a bit of a prophetic thing here that you're saying that you're tying in here that, God, you have the ability to restore? the cuts, the bruises, the, the scars that all of us have. And I think he does. Because if he can do it to an almond nut, I think he can do it to us. What do you think? This is, this is in his design. This is in his makeup. This is the property of this thing. 
And God has designed our bodies to naturally heal, like when we get cuts and bruises and scars. But what about our hearts? What about our souls? What about our deep hurts and pains? I believe God can heal us. So that's my, my message for you today. And as we wrap up the stories from Israel, what is your Hannah heart prayer today? And let's trust God to bring restoration for every single one of you. Does that help anyone today? It's a simple message, really. But that's what God spoke to me. So let's pray. Now, God, again, we are so humbled by the stories we read in your word. Um, they're so powerful and there's so much in them. And thank you that you're revealing the truth to us day by day. And I pray for all of us here today, I pray, I pray there will be something that would just, just connect. There's something that you spoke in me with, with that story. And I just pray that I would be able to have imparted that and articulate that, God. I, now I pray for your spirit to, to do the rest of the work. But Lord, I know that there's many of us today that connect with that story of Hannah. And as we think about the promises of God, the many beautiful promises that you have for every single one of us. And some of us are yet to see those, but God, I'm praying that you would stir our hearts today. As we, as we cry out to you, God, today, I pray that you would hear our prayer and that you would come through on those prayers of faith, Lord. And Lord, we make a promise to you that we will give you all the glory we will commit and dedicate our lives to you as a response, God. It's not a bargain prayer, but it's a response, God, because we recognize you as our source, you as our provider, and everything that we have is from you. So God, we surrender. I just feel that there's two men here today that this fighting thing you connected with today, you, you, you're a fighter. And, it, and it's okay to be determined and strong-willed and all that stuff, but you, your natural tendency is to fight. Not necessarily physically, like fist fight, but you just fight. And, and as I shared that today, there, were, there was something in that connected with you. God wants to set you free from that today. God wants you to surrender today. He wants you to change your posture from fists to open hands. Does anyone connect with that prayer, that, or that, that word today? Anyone? It's not something you'd be embarrassed about. No one's looking. Anyone? Because I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. I didn't really know how we we're going to end this, but I said to the band to come back, back up because I, I kind of feel we need to sing that, that line, you are more than able. And I believe for some of you here today, that there are things that you have trusted God for and you've cried out to God or maybe even now is the moment to do as we sing you are more than able. I want you to pour out your heart to God like Hannah did. And let's believe for the promises of God that your vineyards will grow again. There'll be dancing, there'll be a feast, there'll be a meal and we'll look back in however many years and be grateful that this time of adversity and difficulty actually brought us close to God because intimacy with God is what, what matters.
And sometimes God allows these things in our life because He just wants us to draw close to Him. So I know God's doing a deep work in some of your hearts today. Allow Him to do that. I know it's 28 minutes past. We normally finish by half past. Just, 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 just another minute or so. Just allow Him to do what He needs to do in your heart. Because sometimes we look at the watch and think about the coffee we're going to get or the mate we're going to catch up with, the lunch we've got to get to. But just don't miss it. God is wanting to do something in your heart. from here, God, as people cry to you, I pray that there'll be such a special intimacy, a, a moment that people have, God, because that's more important than the actual situation. 
But God, thank you that you have come through and we hear testimony after testimony of your goodness, your faithfulness and the promises of God. We believe them and we receive them for our lives. Jesus. The last prayer for anyone here today, you've never made a commitment to God. You've never given your life fully to God. I wanna pray with you and you can just uh, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, from today, I commit my life fully to you. Come and live in my heart by your spirit. Change me and make me into the person you want me to be. Lord, I'm sorry for my past and ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on a cross for me, making a way for me to connect with my Father. And Lord, today I place you Lord of my life. I put you first. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Well, I hope you feel encouraged today. I told you it would be. Um, if anyone needs a specific prayer, like something really deep and specific, we're obviously always available as pastors to pray. And we'll talk more a little bit going forward around some of these other ideas that I mentioned about how we can, we, we need to sometimes have a release prayer. If, if there's this like, you haven't been able to fall pregnant or some of these patterns that happen, there, 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 there is sometimes reasons for that. And not necessarily just medical reasons. There can be spiritual reasons. Nothing to be, feel bad about, but God can set you free from those things. And uh, I just believe God can do miracles in our life. What do you think? Should we give God uh, some worship and some hand today? Oh, awesome. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Right. Amazing. Good Sunday. Thanks for being with us today. God bless. We'll be here again 6 p.m. tonight for the service if you need to bring a friend. Have a good day, Jack. Bye.